Hello, and welcome back to Jason Eli's Stories to Get Stoned By. Well, in case you're wondering what happened to your boy up here, well, let's just say my touring duties with the band got in the way a little bit. Now that you're settling down to a dull roar, we're bringing you season two. You never know what you might quite get out there. Remember, if you'd like to sponsor and become a friend of 420, check me out over there on the redcircle.com or follow around and get to the Patreon account and throw your boy a shekel. We're going to be doing these once again every Sunday morning at 420, so make sure to stay tuned and tell your friends about Jason Eli's stories to get stoned by. The Hippocratic Oath taken by physicians requires them to do no harm. And nonetheless, as we can see from the rich history of medicine, this rule hasn't always been followed. Now, from the earliest days of medicine, people have tried numerous ways to ease each other's pains in various ailments. And sadly, over the course of time, plenty of mistakes, ignorant decisions, and, well, just basic quackery were made, which on occasion caused more harm than good, but it did further an advancement in medicine as a lesson to be learned, and, well, I've gathered a list of some of the strangest and weirdest medical treatments that make us all appreciate the advancements that medical science has gone through. From barbaric procedures to eerie potions, um, kick back, relax, and be thankful Check on your health insurance, would you? It's stories to get stoned by. Urine therapy? Exactly what it says on the tin. This is therapy that involves urine and quite often your own. <laughs> urine has been used as a curative in both the medical and cosmetic world and in many cultures and through the eras, included the Romans, the Renaissance period, China, India, and France, and is still a predominant theory in Western culture to this day. Its uses do number in the many from teeth whitening, skin protection, acne cure, strep throat, and broken bones to name a few. Sometimes when the urine is ingested directly, while other times the urine is made into a poultice or directly applied on the skin, <laughs> hilariously, a, a lot of insane medical theories and or practices have since been discontinued, of course, or debunked, yet we still have people that believe in the positive and healing benefits bestowed upon them by using their own piss. Do you have a particularly annoying and rambunctious child, or perhaps your child is experiencing problems during the teething stage? <laughs> Never fear, Mrs. Winslow's soothing syrup is here designed to calm and relax whoever or whatever it's given to, it left the parent free to carry on with their daily life, uninterrupted by the incessant bawling of an upset child. You're damn right, it better relax them. 
What you would have just given your child was a deadly cocktail that included morphine, heroin, powdered opium, cannabis, and a mixture of other crazy substances. Not only would it totally mellow out a child, but quite often said child would just wind up dead. So, uh, yes, that would be calm, but... Well, you couldn't sue for false advertising. Just leave that right there. I don't feel well. Hmm, better ingest some mercury. <laughs> mercury. Sounds like a particularly bad advert for a cure-all. It might not now, but it certainly would have appealed to the past. Mercury has even been found in... Egyptian tombs dating as far back as 1500 years BC. Mercury was believed to cure ailments, heal wounds, prolong life, and a whole bunch of other things. Uh, one Chinese emperor, Wen Shi Huang, was so obsessed with seeking an elixir for eternal life that he ingested a mercury compound that was given to him by his doctors and scientists. Ironically, of course, the very mixture that was designed to give him eternal life did wind up killing him. Most of us understand that the drug heroin is indeed not very good for us. And for some of us, not me of course, but it provides a decent income. However, I'm sure all of us will balk at the prospect of it being marketed as something to take for simple coughs and wheezes, whilst at the same time being said to be non-addictive. <laughs> but this is exactly what the German pharmaceutical company Bayer, yes, that Bayer, who to this day is a very successful company, they did at the end of the 19th century and for some of the 20th century. Got a cough? Yeah. Indulge in some heroin. Heroin was also marketed as something that could treat morphine addiction, but shortly afterwards the company faced slight embarrassment when it was found that heroin is metabolized into morphine in the human body, thus making their product a faster acting form of morphine, which is heroin. <laughs> Initially, heroin was invented during an attempt to produce a drug similar to morphine, but less potent and less addictive. However, quite the opposite did happen, of course. Heroin turned out to be around twice as more potent than morphine itself. It was then prescribed to treat coughs and, <coughs> and other ailments such as back pain and insomnia. From 1898 through 1910, these cough syrups were marketed as a non-addictive morphine substitute and quickly became the cause of one of the highest addiction rates amongst its users. Back in the 19th century, inventors and medical practitioners alike simply loved to peddle their miracle cures through 
strange devices that would heal a whole host of commonplace problems. Male impotence being one of them. Being great believers in the fact that electricity could bring a certain energy into the human body, they presumed that it would work wonders for the impotence-afflicted man, designed to shock weak parts of the body back into life via the gentle application of electrical currents. Practitioners also elected that patients with toothaches could be electrified. The idea of electrotherapy was fairly new in the 1700s, but it was used regularly until the early 1900s for illnesses such as epilepsy, paralysis, tapeworms, and the aforementioned impotence, and more. Some people just got electrotherapy for general wellness. Shocking. In the late 19th century, milk was believed to be the perfect substitute for blood and the fatty, oily qualities there would become white blood cells because milk is white and, however, however, while a few instances of this procedure were successful, many resulted in death. In one instance, the injection of milk dropped the patient's pulse immediately to the point where they had to be resuscitated with a combination of morphine and whiskey. Unfortunately, the patient only lived ten days after the operation. Ancient Greek doctors believed that a woman's womb was a separate creature with a mind of its own. According to the writings of Plato and Hippocrates, when a woman was celibate for an extended time, her uterus, described as a living animal eager to bear children, could dislodge and glide freely about her body, causing suffocation, seizures, and hysteria. This curious diagnosis endured in some form into the time of the Romans and Byzantines, after doctors had learned that the womb was literally held in place by ligaments, and to prevent their wombs on going on walkabout, ancient women were counseled to marry young and bear as many children as possible. For a womb that had already broken free, doctors prescribed therapeutic baths, infusions, and physical massages to try to force it back into position. They might even fumigate the patient's head with sulfur and pitch while simultaneously rubbing pleasant-smelling lotions between her thighs, the logic being that the womb would flee from the bad smells and move back into its rightful place. Animal bile was once used therapeutically in China to treat a number of ailments. According to the World Journal of 
gastroenterology? Hmm. It's a trusted source, anyway. Python bile was employed externally to treat ulcers of the external female genitalia. But who needs breath mints when you've got a bottle of elephant bile lying around? Ancient Chinese physicians and pharmacists believed that elephant bile, diluted with water, could alleviate halitosis. The University of Oxford explains that snails would do their slime walk over a wart. Someone would stab the nail to death with a thorn, typically. And then, while the snail withered away and died, so too with the warts. Who knew getting rid of warts was so easy? Lobotomy. Lobotomies involve the insertion of objects into the head, namely 10-inch ice picks from the Greek lobos and tomos, meaning lobe and slice cut, respectively. You get an idea of what it involved, brain slicing. Essentially, it involved the insertion of an ice pick tool through the eye socket. Essentially, it involved the insertion of an ice pick tool through the eye socket and into the prefrontal cortex of the brain. And when the pick was in the right place, the protruding end would be struck by a hammer being declared one of the most barbaric mistakes ever perpetrated by mainstream medicine. Uh, A side point was to note that John F. Kennedy's sister, Rosemary, underwent a lobotomy after her father complained of her moodiness. Unfortunately, the procedure just reduced her mind to that of an infant, and she was never the same again. Bloodletting is known as one of the oldest medical procedures, dating back 3,000 years to ancient Egypt. The procedure was common in medieval Europe to treat diseases such as smallpox, epilepsy, and the plague. However, it didn't unfortunately end there. Bloodletting was commonly practiced throughout the 19th century too, and is even sometimes used today. Towards the end of the 19th century, the treatment was discredited when doctors finally admitted that Depleting the body's blood supply can be risky and doesn't have many valuable health benefits. Much as it sounds, this was the process of letting and withdrawing vast quantities of blood from the body, specifically in order to cure just about anything. Syphilis? Headache? Kids giving you hell? (laughs) Believed to be one of the older medical practices around spanning some 2,000 years, Initially, bleeding oneself to death doesn't seem like the greatest of pastime. In those days, the belief was that blood could be used up, but rather it would stagnate in certain body parts of the body, causing illness. Uh, The other key belief was that the body contained four substances called humors, which consisted of tasty-sounding things as blood, black bile, yellow bile, and phlegm. An excess or shortage of any of these substances would result in illness, so naturally the best cure was to let some out if there was too much of any one humor. 
Trepanning. Really just a fancy word for taking a drill to your head and seeing what happens. Trepanation was uh, the go-to for head-related illnesses, both mental and physical, for an incredibly long time. As evidence suggests, that such surgery has been performed as, well, as long as there have been head-brain-related illnesses and injuries to treat. Nowadays, it would, I hope it would, sound ludicrous to relieve and believe that literally drilling a hole in someone's head would let bad spirits out and thus cue the patient of their particular ailment. Xenotransplantation This procedure involved the transplantation of the intrasexual gland from a chimpanzee into an 80-year-old man in hopes of returning him to his physical vigor. An article detailing the procedure quoted the inventor Dr. Sergei Vormanov as saying, This gland being vital to the male organism, it was naturally impossible to transfer from man to man. This led me to the newest species of monkeys, which could be used so successfully in thyroid experiments and that on. Later on, of course, this procedure was debunked. Well, this one might not be so popular. Ear candles. Unfortunately, not the practice of turning someone's ears into candles for your own personal benefit or amusement, but more the practice of sticking a long candle in your ear to clear it of wax, debris, and apparently, the candle causes negative pressure and draws the wax, etc. out from the ear canal, thus making it a cleaner place. Unsurprisingly, in actuality, the candle does little to nothing and can even result in... surprise? Wax from the candle entering the ear canal, doing more harm than good. Putting it bluntly, folks, sticking candles in your ear and expecting it to do great things is uh, something akin to a two-year-old finding a crayon on the floor and jamming it in their nose because they had a booger. Virtually everything has a patron saint, even painful hemorrhoids. It was once believed that if a person did not pray to the canonized Irish monk Saint Fiacre, who was said to protect one from such maladies, that they would suffer from hemorrhoids. If the person chose not to pray to the saint and came down with hemorrhoids, they were sent off to the monks who would put a red hot iron on them. Alternatively, the patient could sit on the saint's famous rock, a spot where the 7th century monk was miraculously cured of his own hemorrhoids. Back in the late 19th and early 20th century, when the damaging effects of nicotine weren't yet discovered or widely accepted, smoking was used not only for recreational purposes, but also as a medical treatment. It was used for various ailments, including one of the most ridiculous, asthma. Tobacco smoke enemas were practiced in the 18th century to treat various ailments. Back in the day, this procedure was administered to patients suffering from headaches, respiratory failure, colds, or abdominal cramps, just to name a few. This method was even used to resuscitate individuals who were dying from typhoid fever or 
cholera. It was believed that nicotine could stimulate a patient's adrenal glands, produce adrenaline, and revive them. Unsurprisingly, this method never worked. J.H. Kellogg, the man behind the beloved Kellogg cereal brand, was a full-fledged medical doctor and health activist. Another little-known fact, Dr. Kellogg's famous cornflakes were also originally treated to prevent sexual urges, more specifically to inhibit the urge to masturbate. Masturbation was considered a huge sin back in the 19th century, and Kellogg believed that a healthy diet was the answer to this problem. Unfortunately, Kellogg's flaky idea for an anti-masturbatory breakfast did not provide the desired results. Then Mariani tonic was introduced in 1863 and was advertised both as wine and as a general QL product promising to treat whatever ailments you may have. The tonic quickly became a sensation and was widely endorsed, used among many famous people of the time including the Pope and Thomas Edison. The tonic even inspired the invention of Coca-Cola. The reason behind Vin Morani's success? Why, of course, cocaine. Cocaine for hay fever? Why not? Many believe that allergy symptoms caused by pollen, also known as hay fever, could be alleviated with the application of cocaine. This was discovered not to be the case. Dr. Frederick Laidlaw, a recognized leading pathologist of the homeopathic school in New York, was quoted in multiple articles saying, if you can't cure it without cocaine, You'd better keep the hay fever. Maybe that's why the nose runs, doctor? During Victorian times, people came up with a radical solution to reduce weight. Tapeworms. The idea behind it was simple. A person consumes a tapeworm egg so that when the parasite hatches and grows inside of the person's intestine, it starts to ingest whatever the person did. This supposedly allowed the person to lose weight without decreasing the amount of food they ate. While today it's known that tapeworms can be dangerous and in some cases downright even lethal, this questionable practice is still alive today. In ancient Rome, people thought they could treat rabies. According to Pliny the Elder, a naturalist and an author, anyone bitten by a mad dog should be treated by having their wound cut open and covered with raw veal. Then the patient should drink a diet of lime and hog's fat. Even then, the patient would drink a concoction made with wine and boiled badger dung. At the beginning of the 20th century, patients suffering from syphilis were treated with malariotherapy. Ailing individuals were deliberately infected with malaria to induce fever. Apparently, the high fever was enough to kill temperature-sensitive syphilis bacteria. It was estimated that around 15% of those treated with malaria therapy died from malaria. However, others showed great improvement. Treat malaria with a magic word? There are a lot of strange historical treatments for malaria. One of my favorite cures was a, a magical charm recommended by a Roman physician in the 3rd century. Patients were told to write 
abracadabra over and over on a piece of paper with one less letter on each line until the letters formed a, a triangle with just an A at the bottom. Then they had to tie the paper with flax and wear it around their necks for nine days before tossing it into an east running stream. And if that didn't work, they were supposed to rub themselves with lion fat. Back in the 19th century, a cutting-edge new treatment for rheumatism was introduced on Australia's southern coast, simply sitting inside a rotting whale carcass. It was believed that if a person stayed inside of the dead whale for 30 hours, they would be relieved of joint aches for up to 12 months. Clearly, there is no scientific evidence to support the healing power of sitting inside a dead whale, but it seems like people were desperate enough to actually try it. While we may think of energy drinks as a new trend, they have existed for almost a century. And if you think they were a lot healthier back in the day than they are now, well, you're mistaken. The energy drinks sold in the 1920s did not contain huge amounts of caffeine and touring as they do now, but instead they contained real energy, radium. One of the most infamous examples is Radithor, which was simply radium dissolved in water. Unsurprisingly, that drink was created by a Harvard dropout, William J.A. Bailey, who was not a medical doctor. Radithor was advertised as a cure for the living dead and perpetual sunshine. Radium was once considered a legitimate medical treatment. The ailments it supposedly cured included arthritis, impotence, and even aging. Revigitator was placed in hundreds of thousands of American households. Now we know that radium doesn't cure aging. It just puts people at risk of radiation sickness. Users also had arsenic and lead leach into their water, which of course wasn't great. Corpse medicine? For hundreds of years, up until the 1890s of course, it was common to use the human body as an ingredient in various medicines. Which human parts were used to treat diseases? Well, pretty much all of them. For instance, the human liver was prescribed to those suffering from epilepsy, but the most common were blood, fat, bone, and flesh. During the 16th and 17th centuries, many physicians actively prescribed coarse medicine to their patients. One of the most popular remedies back in the day was made of smuggled Egyptian mummies. The mummified remains were usually powdered and used as a treatment for epilepsy, bruising, and even hemorrhaging. Arsenic is one of the oldest medicine that dates back to ancient times. However, even though the toxic properties of arsenic are known, the chemical was used to treat various diseases up until the 20th century. Arsenic compounds were ingredients in many tinctures, balms, and tablets which were used to treat diseases, sleeping uh, sickness, and syphilis, or just plain lethargy. Ancient Egyptians were really creative with the methods they used to prevent unwanted pregnancies. One of their notoriously inventive methods was inserting crocodile dung into the vagina. Well, it's unclear whether this method actually worked, 
Uh, it's obvious how unhygienic, dangerous, and, well, off-putting it was. Before effective pain medication was invented, people throughout history have tried many ways to ease their pain. One of the grossest and most ineffective treatments was used by the Egyptians. To relieve toothaches, they would mash dead mice and then blend them with some other ingredients into a paste which was then applied to the aching tooth. Unsurprisingly, the paste didn't aid much with the pain, but often instead caused a infection. Treat epilepsy with a powder made of hair and deer bones? The Book of Physic contains a remedy for patients with epilepsy. Cook a strong man's hair with a leg bone of a deer, turn it into powder, then eat it leading up to the new moon. For a long time, people have debated whether the moon affects seizures. As recently as 2004, there was an article published in the journal Epilepsy and Behavior titled, The Influence of the Full Moon on Seizure Frequency, Myth or Reality. For the record, they found no connection between the full moon and the frequency of epileptic seizures. Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's missive of J-City Lies, Stories to Get Stoned By. Once again, we're going to drop these, continuing on Season 2, every Sunday morning at 4.20. And if you like what you're hearing, log on to RedCircle.com and hit that sponsor button for me. Or you can find me over at Patreon as well. Become a friend of 420. <laughs> I'm open to suggestion, guys. If you got something you want me to tackle, just get a hold of me at JasonEli at Hotmail.com. And we're sure to take that under advisory. In the meantime, well, keep your weed dry. We'll catch you next Sunday morning at 420. It's Jason Eli's stories to get stoned by.